Turn your Bible to Revelation 13. Wow. We are going to uh, finish up, I hope, um, a good portion of this. We still have one aspect of it that we'll probably not get to fully um, because of all the stuff that's gone around. But we've covered it in the past, so it shouldn't be too difficult here. Um, We have been dealing with the second beast of Revelation 13. Remember the first beast we identified as the nations, capital B beast, with seven heads, which equals seven empires, which ruled over Israel um, throughout our history, beginning with Egypt, going to Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then the United Kingdom was the uh, last empire to really reign over Israel. Um, I was uh, at uh, the wedding of... Casey's brother and his father at the rehearsal dinner was talking about his trip in our, we were talking about our trips to the Holy Lands and about going to Jordan. And he said something really interesting. He said, did you notice how everyone, they just sounded British. When you go into Jordan, the accent is really British. It's not, uh, uh, I mean, you pick that up and, and, uh, and that's something he picked up right away and said it felt like we were going into a British country. Well, there's a reason for that, and that's because that whole region was really under the control of Great Britain, the United Kingdom, um, before it was divided up by edict um, by the United Kingdom into the nations that exist today. And so um, we saw that first beast identified in, as a larger encompassing entity um, within which we knew that there were seven heads. The angel tells us later on, chapter 17, that there would be an eighth head. And we go, well, where's the eighth head? Well, it has to be the second beast, which is the lowercase b beast, which we know to be the final empire on earth because um, it is going to go to perdition. It's going to be destroyed by the one, the, the stone not made by human hands. And that Daniel refers to, um, as, and we looked at Daniel's description, And so we have all this descriptive information to help us identify it. And it's phenomenal to think of how little identification has been proffered by our prophecy experts today uh, when we have so much information given to us. When you have these lists whose purpose is to help you identify an entity, um, we can't squander that and say, oh, nobody knows, we can't figure it out. They're there for a reason. They're there to help us put a finger on and say, that is what that's talking about. And and because we have some very specific directives with regard to this entity, um, and we know that it's going to do these two things, and we should be prepared for that as well. And so we need to be ready uh, and and, uh, not give in to that. And so the three we looked at last, uh, actually it wasn't last week, two weeks ago, was a power by national resources. That is that the beast came out of the land. All other beasts came out of the sea. Um, that means they conquered other people groups. This country did not conquer other people groups. It did not come to power that way. It came to power by developing its natural resources. It came out of the land. Um, and it, so it was powered by its farms, its mines, its forests, its uh, uh, waters, um, fisheries. And so it came out of natural resources. It was a two-horned beast. And remember that the two horns we correlated to Media Persia, that it had a unique dual relationship. But remember, just like Media Persia, it's the second horn. It's the second one that becomes dominant. Um, Persia dominated Media, but Media did reign with them. And we're going to really see this borne out um, in the latter part of tonight. 
where we're going to talk about the non-geopolitical, but the secondary uh, aspect of, of uh, how these nations uh, were formed. Uh, we often think of only geopolitical nations with boundaries and constitutions and stuff, but there's another secondary entities that we want to talk about. And then we also told that it looks like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon. And we talked about how nations speak through their national documents, uh, treaties, and things like that. And we looked at the fact that this nation looks and sounds very Christian, um, but in fact, what it is, is speaking the words of the dragon, which is error and against God, even while using words for God. Remember, Satan is really good at this, right? He did it in the garden. He can quote scripture. He did it um, on several occasions, uh, including with Christ at his temptations. So it shouldn't surprise you to find Satan able to use the Bible a little bit or make or use language that sounds like it's in agreement with the Bible. Okay? Use language like, you're created equal. All men were created equal. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But when we stack it up against God's Word, we find that that's not entirely true. Okay? We are recreated in Christ, neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Um, and so there's an equality in salvation. But that's not all men. That's the, the redeemed are in that condition. Um, and we obviously know that not all men are created equal. Some are smarter, some are more athletic, some are prettier, some are taller, some are... Whatever adjective you want to put in there. I'm, I'm trying to think of something else that's not going to offend somebody. Um, so we're not all equal. All right? And uh, by the way, in uh, most of the history of the world, men recognize that. But in our history. We made this declaration that all men are created equal. Um, by the way, only two people were ever created, and that was Adam and Eve. Everyone else was begotten. You and I were not created. You were not created by God, and you were not certainly created equal from birth. Okay, there is a distinguishment. There is differences. And so um, we see a lot of those, and we, looked at, we can look at a lot of those. So that's where we left off in that description of the second beast in Revelation 13, which we're going to pick up in verse 11. And let's go ahead and read the rest of it. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So that's as far as we got. That wasn't very far. He exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence and caused the earth and those who dwell in to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would be, what, worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And, of course, that last phrase gets everyone's attention because that's the name. That's, in fact, we have been told all our lives that's the number of the Antichrist, correct? Um, very possibly. Okay, I'm not going to rule that out very possibly because it says it's the number of a man. And that's kind of fascinating to read that. And I, I believe that last statement helps my position a lot. Um, because it's not the number of a nation. It distinguishes it that this is not a number of a beast. This is the number of a man. This is an individual who devises this system. Um, and is not 
born out of national uh, workings. It's not born out of a country or the beast, uh, or the capital B beast, but it's born out of a man's work. And it's a man's number, not a beast number. I think that leads credence, lends credence to the fact that we're not dealing with individuals in this chapter until now, the very end. But let's look at, uh, we're going to skip verse 12 a little bit. We're going to come back to it. We're going we're gonna to get there about the relationship between the, the uh, second beast and the first beast. But I want to look at verse 13, and we're just going to list these off. I know you don't want me to use red, but I'm color-coded now, so we're going to have to do it. And so I'm going to write a little bit larger since this isn't... Re- oh, I see the problem with red is it's not consistent. Let's try this red. Maybe this one's better. Nope. It's just red's a bad color. All right, so what do we got here? Uh, we find out right away this designation. He performs great signs. All right, what are signs? <laughs> well, they're not, um, you know, 50 miles to Santa Fe um, north. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. So what are signs? Signs are wonders, and we're going to use that word here in a little bit, um, because it talks about the fact that uh, he's going to uh, do some deceive the world um, by these signs. Um, this is often associated with wonders or miracles. And um, he's going to give us some things to look for, some miraculous, uh, seemingly miraculous things. And remember, he's not using this, but it's using the idea of wonders. That people are going to look at that and say, wow, it's going to be a demonstration of this nation's power is through these specific signs. And he's going to list off three of them for us. So we're looking for three things. And this is really our last identification tool to really put our thumb right on it and say, that's the one. Um, All of these are helpful. And we're narrowing it down, obviously. We've narrowed it down significantly. And we've already made implications of who it's going to be referring to, but it gives us two signs. Now, I was talking to Justin a little bit before the service, and um, we tend to think that prophets have uh, a difficulty dealing with modern things, how to describe modern events. Um, and we think that you know, they don't have the words to describe airplanes flying and, and atomic weapons and uh, tanks and automobiles and cell phones that they can't possibly uh, describe those, and yet they do it very well. I love Habakkuk's description, right, of making inanimate things talk. Of taking stone, gold and silver, and calling it your teacher in Habakkuk. That's a pretty potent statement. Um, We're going to find something similar here. So we're looking at three signs. So here we go. The first one is fire from heaven. Now, what is this reminiscent of? In our minds, we immediately trace it. I'm going to abandon red, okay? Will any of you be frustrated with that change? I don't want to use green because green is representing the things that haven't happened yet. Everything else has happened. So let me find another color. All right, I got blue. Will blue work? All right, so fire from heaven. Doesn't it say that? He's able to call fire down from heaven. And, but it's very specific, um, in the sight of men. It says that uh, he uh, 
makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And every one of those phrases is very specific and very necessary. Fire from heaven, and again, not the heavens of God's abode, um, but from the heaven of the atmosphere, the air. And so out of the air, he's able to call fire down. We think immediately of what prophet in the Old Testament? One of those Elijah's, right? Which one was it that brought that down in front of the prophets of Baal? Okay, Elijah. And so we find, um, well, it's got to be like that. No, it's going to be a sign that a nation can do in the sight of men on the earth. That is that men are going to see it, they're going to experience it, and it's going to rain down on the earth fire. And you might say, well, what does that mean? Is he pulling lightning down? Um, when they, and you've heard me share this account before, when they interviewed the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, this is exactly the words. Remember, these aren't Christian, but these are Japanese people, and these are the exact words they used of what happened that day. It was a beautiful day, and suddenly it was raining fire on us. Because atomic weapons explode at altitude and rain down. They do not hit the ground. They blow up at altitude. So they drop it from the sky. Before it hits the ground, it explodes at a designated altitude, and it literally rained fire on those two cities. Now, is... The United States is the only country to possess this technology. And by the way, I would consider all signs to be talking about technological advances. Okay? And so, not miracles, but things that we think of as miraculous, as wonders, or things that make us go, ooh, um, that uh, make our eyes pop open. And if you came out into our day and age from even just a hundred years ago, even if you went a hundred years back, if someone from 1915 just suddenly popped into here, how would they react to our world? Just in the last hundred years. Eye-popping. Remember, our country is only, what, 225, 35 years old, 45? How old is our country? 1776, 1776, 24, plus that would be 39. 239 years old. That's not very old for countries. And look at all that we have accomplished. So, we have this statement that is a direct quote. <laughs> it was in your Bible, 1611, King James, long before any Japanese person said it. The Japanese people who said it had never been exposed to this statement. But their declaration was, it was a beautiful day and then it rained fire on us from the sky. Now, do you think the Bible has any problem communicating what it means? It's using the exact words men use to describe it. This is what happens. And so, we have the fire from heaven. Um, and it's not just that they possess the technology, but we're looking for someone who actually used it in the sight of men. That is, that men experienced it. And we remain, the United States remains the only nation in history, who has actually used atomic weapons on other people. Do you realize that? As much as we are worried about Iran, we are really the only ones who were evil enough to do that. 
Our nation. We did it. Twice. Okay? No one else has. We've done it. And what does that do? The result is he'll say, who, who can fight with the beast? Who can make war with him? Who can go against that? And even with the proliferation of atomic weaponry, nobody wants to really set us off on an atomic race, do they? I mean, they might get one or two bombs, right? We don't know how many Israel has. They might not even have it. It might just be a big bluff, but no, I think they have one or two. I think we probably gave it to them, but somewhere back there. But um, no one would want to use it on us with the distinct probability of being annihilated by our arsenal. And the fact is, historically, no one has. Only one nation has used this weapon in the sight of man on earth. And that's a pretty powerful sign. So that's one thing you're looking Looking for someone who is able to bring fire from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Very specific. And now let's just press on a little bit. It says, By this he deceives those who dwell on the earth, by those signs which he is granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. And the second thing we have is an image. And again, this goes along with Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, where uh, uh, another Old Testament text that uses the same uh, language. And, uh, but then, just making an image, the first thing we think of, we think of an image in Bible times, we think of idols. We think of little carved or, or uh, uh, gold or silver image that someone's going to worship. And of course, we see worship being a part of this. Um, but really, the word image there is for a facsimile. That is something that is a comparison to something real. And, uh, but it's not enough just to have the image. The image is there, but it does something. This is a brand new thing that happens that this beast uh, has control of. Um, here we go. Uh, then just have to make an image to the beast that was wounded. That's to the eight, seventh head. We're going to talk about that relationship here in a little bit. He was granted power to give breath to the image of beast. The image of beast should both speak and cause many who would not worship the beast to be killed. So, two facets of this, and one's in blue and one's in green. All right? And here's the two facets of the image. The first is that the image can talk. Talking images. How radical is that exactly? You all are very comfortable with pictures talking to you. If you had told me when I was a young person that I would be sitting in my basement talking to people in India and having them preach to my church from India over a screen live, I would have laughed at you and said, well, the Lord will come back before that happens. He hasn't, and it has happened. Um, talking pictures are a modern phenomena, but the Bible already described it. Images that would speak. Images, and, and in Habakkuk, it's, it's, it, that would teach was the term used in Habakkuk. Um, and the whole idea of taking an inanimate thing and out of that inanimate thing producing 
uh, sound and language uh, that, that is correlated with the pictures that you are portraying. And we have really a, a very clear statement of the development of talking pictures that we begin by moving pictures and then we add the ability to talk to those moving pictures. And again, the nation that develops, encourages, and really controls this is the one we should be looking at. And I know that we've had some help by some Europeans, um, but still to this day, still to this very day, no matter how broadly this technology has gone, they're only they're the two primary nations that are responsible for uh, 80-some percent of all broadcast images are the United States and Great Britain. That's where it's generated from. We're going to talk about what it is teaching and how it is directing worship to the beast uh, of the seventh head. We're going to talk about that here very shortly, maybe next week. Um, but we have the image, and so we have talking pictures. But then there's another thing that... Um, uh, I made an O, or I was supposed to make an uh, A... Then there comes a time of worship or die. And I say, well, is that, what do we mean by worship here? Boy, I can't even read that. That's terrible. All right, let's try this again. What do we mean by worship? And again, we have talked about the fact that this entity, this nation, empire, is speaking, uh, looking like a lamb, but speaking like a dragon. And so what we expect to hear coming out of this is dragon talk. That is satanic uh, things which sound very Christian but are actually in inviting us to worship something other than the one true and living God. And it's not hard to identify that. Um, if you think back to how Satan tempts people, what does he call on? He calls on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what he draws on. Um, and whatever you think the purpose of talking pictures are, um, I want you to understand the number one purpose is to sell you stuff. If they didn't sell you stuff, they wouldn't exist. That's their purpose. And so we talk about worship, whatever it is of the seventh head that, was, that died and came back, um, we're going to find out here very quickly, but uh, that's still, this or die hasn't really been implemented. I should make this one in blue though. Because they are calling you to worship. And this would include, I would contend, all the manifestations of that in your modern life. Because we've gone way beyond talking pictures at a movie theater, right? We've gone into the television era, and television now is almost done, isn't it? Isn't almost, I mean, only mostly watching on the internet um, in the digital format now. I mean, you guys are watching movies on your phones. I don't know why, it's like, um, you have that kind of access that so you can't go anywhere without it. Um, they have sold you a bill of goods. And so, I don't have that. I still have a computer, though. I still watch a lot of, mass, a lot of stuff out of England, mostly, it seems like. But um, we're still called that you're going to be enraptured by this. It's an image that is directing worship and eventually it's going to be so powerful that you're either going to submit to that or you're going to die. 
you're going to be killed. Not die by, by missing out, but you're going to be actively hunted down. And again, I think this correlates with this. It'll be very easy to be able to identify those. Um, and at some point, I think we have to take a stand in our homes, in our lives, with regard to this image. And recognize it for what it is. It is not amoral. That is, it is not uh, neutral morally. It is immoral in its purpose and its effect universally. Certainly, it has occasionally been used for to spread the gospel. I don't deny that, but I don't know that it has ultimately benefited the gospel. I still believe that the most powerful conversions happen when people talk to people and not images talk to people. Televangelists the televangelists have created a, a, a Christian environment that is neither Christian nor godly and not really generating righteousness, which we can see by how they portray, how they're caught. We'll put it like that. Um, pretty much they all get caught eventually because they're all in some of the most hideous sin that's out there. Okay? And so, be very careful. Recognize what you're dealing with. That you're dealing with something that is designed to teach you to worship someone other than God. And eventually, this technology will be used to identify those who are not in agreement, not, not submitting to the worship of the beast. Seventh head, not eighth head, the capital B. Last manifestation of it. And they will hunt you down. And so maybe it's not by who has one, but who doesn't have one that becomes your danger point. And the evidence is that you don't have it. And that identifies you as someone to be uh, concerned with, that you are not allowing them to influence you. And then the last one. I'm trying to keep moving. I lost my blue pen. Thank you. Too many hiding places up here. And then the last one, and I'm going to write it in blue because I think we already have it here. Um, the final thing is the, the uh, economic. We have an economic um, scheme. We have a means of controlling the buying and selling of all things for all people. And this is accomplished through three options. Um, it says that there is either a mark a name or a number of a name. Okay, a mark, name, number of a name. Um, but the preference seems to be for the mark. Um, and we are given the number of that mark. And that mark, of course, is identified with men, not with nations. The nations didn't control this nor develop it, but rather a man did. This, these are man, this is a man's number um, that was generated outside of national entities but was taken over by them. And so he's going to, it says, um, <clears throat> cause all to receive this mark, right hand or on their foreheads. No one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name or the number. Um, and then we are given an opportunity to calculate the number and the identification of it with a man. And we have, uh, really, I believe, I don't see how you can have a more clear de description of, of the digitalization of economics, of buying and selling. 
um, that we, since the advent really of the barcode and all that has generated out of that, we are seeing this not being uh, unreasonable. In fact, we see it in hand now that there are several things that you cannot buy without the digital access. Um, that even the texture writing now aren't really being cached, are they? How many of you realize that many of the checks you write are never actually cashed because they are just digitally scanned and the banks do the transfers? Um, that uh, they have little scanning things, and even my brake guy in this little dump place here on, old, on Coors has one of those little scanners, and he runs your, and then he hands your check back to you. I don't need your check. He just puts it through the little scanner. Here you go. You can have it back. Don't need it. Because everything's been digitalized. And the idea that no one can buy or sell without this number, without this format, this mark. And, of course, we recognize marks. We see them all the time. They don't phase us at all. And we, of course, have them already being implanted in our animals and our, on our people. And uh, that's been identified for some time um, by many that this has to be a precursor of what is described here in, in God's Word. And so the signs from this beast entail these three. And that this is where the power and source... And again, um, what we're waiting for economically is the uh, enforcement of this. And by the way, in India it's already in force. That's what's been our problem, getting money to India. And we have to mule it in at this point. I probably shouldn't say that on something that might go on a podcast, but we, we, they, we can't get money to our pastors in India. The Indian banking system, the National Bank of India, has forced everyone to have a number, and they're tracking everything very carefully and uh, you have to be able to account for all money coming into the country from out of country. And uh, if the, any of us got caught, um, passed already be in jail. He might already be there. I don't know. I haven't heard from him for weeks. Okay? And so the, pa- the, the fact is this is already being implemented, that you either do it our way or no way, that you aren't going to be able to buy or sell without this mark. In a cashless society... Um, has been long the dream of this nation and the United Nations to go cash less. You buy and sell using marks and, not not German marks because they're gone, um, using symbols uh, on the hand and forehead and through digital means. So all of these have already been implemented and we can identify that if this is what we're talking about, then we should be able to pretty quickly identify this nation. That, the na- that we can see the United States in relationship with the United Kingdom. Um, now the question is this right here. What about Israel? Are we ruling over Israel? And that's where I've often been challenged. Well, that breaks your, your, your code here. But not really because we are born out of, the eighth head is born out of the seventh. And it's still to this day, do you really think that there will be any lasting peace treaty in the Middle East right now with Israel without the United States brokering it? No way. 
Okay? The United States is the one who can and at any time could force Arab nations into a, into a treaty with Israel um, or force Israel into a treaty with Arab nations. We have the capability to do that. Um, at this point, they are enticing everybody into it. And we finally have a character in the White House that I think is capable of doing it within the next year. Um, I think that's well within uh, when we see the turmoil that's happened in the Arab nations. And so this doesn't bother me at all. Um, so what is this relationship between these two? And I have about eight minutes to share this with you. So I'm going to erase some of this. And I'm going to fill this in right in this spot. Try to keep it high enough. Tell you what, I'm going to erase these two. You'll understand those are part of the signs that we're supposed to look for. So we've talked about this mysterious relationship. This is the geopolitical things. We could say the United States certainly did all these things. Boom, 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 boom. You know, these, these, uh, this is us, this is us, this is the United States, the United States, the United States. This looks like the United States, this looks like the United States, the United States, obviously the United States. Um, and uh, we see the relationship to the United Kingdom, but then we have this mysterious relationship of this commitment of the eighth beast to the seventh beast. And this becomes a problem. What is entailed in this, and this needs to move us out of geopolitical realm. We've got to stop thinking about nations and constitutions and borders and start seeing something else that's going on underlying this. And I believe that last sign about the economics uh, is pointing us to it. Again, what is the principle of the beast? What is its purpose? What is its, what is its devising? And we have to go back to, this, to its demise. It says that the beast was mortally wounded, but that mortal wound was healed. It was destroyed. And we, when we talked about that, we talked about the United Kingdom's uh, involvement in uh, some wars, because uh, the description there with the sword is referring to wars. And so it was mortally wounded, um, but then that wound was healed. And we found the, the development <laughs> of the Bank of England that originally was the Bank of England. But in the Napoleonic Wars, remember that we bought most of our country where you live? No, not, this is from the Spanish-American, but from Napoleon. We bought a bunch of our country from Napoleon, right? You wear that? Louisiana Purchase. That was so he could fund his war against in Europe against Great Britain. At that point, um, he had conquered most of the other. And so the Bank of England was there funding that war. And of course, as we shared before, there was that rumor that England had lost everything, tanked, and one family called the Rothschilds. Childs um, bought up England. Essentially, they maneuvered their resources so that everyone thought that England had lost. Um, then the news, after they had bought everything up, including the Bank of England, um, surprise, we actually won. And so everything rebounded very quickly, but there was a complete change of ownership in the nation. And now the Bank of England no longer belonged to the England, it belonged to the Rothschilds and their cronies. Um, and so we find the advent of this underlying system way back then. 
And uh, that attempt by them to take over the United States has been evident from very early on. This is a national banking system that's a private company. So the Bank of England is not a national entity. It's a private company, a corporation. Um, there it's a LTD, not, right? They don't have corps. They have LTDs there. And so what do you do? How do you take over another country? Well, they're going to do something similar. They've tried to do it on multiple occasions. Um, they tried to do it very early on in the history of the United States. Uh, and a guy named Alexander Hamilton said, no, we are not going to go to a national banking system. He had a duel with someone over that very issue and lost. Remember that? Who did he lose to? Aaron Burr. Where did Aaron Burr run away to after he won the duel? To England. <laughs> he ran away from where he came from. Similarly, it was tried to force upon the United States during the Civil War. And during the Civil War, Lincoln himself fought against it vehemently, and he started printing something called Lincoln Greenbacks. And those were his attempt to fund the war without bending the knee to the Bank of England and adopting a national banking system that they were trying to make him do. And so he started printing Lincoln Greenbacks, and he paid for it with his life. Also murdered. The last U.S. president to oppose the, the bank, national banking system um, and try to bring our country out of it, by then we had already gone into it. Um, his name was Robert F. No, I'm sorry. John F. Kennedy. Robert. That's his brother. John F. Kennedy was the last U.S. president to try to fight the uh, national banking system that we call the Federal Reserve. So after many, many years, finally in 1913, um, they established something called the Federal Reserve in our country. Wilson signed it into existence after an illegal meeting of Congress. 1913 with a 100-year contract. Sorry, 1914. With a 100-year contract, which just ran out when? Last December. It just ran out at Christmas Eve in 2014. But nobody knows it. They're not telling anybody. All right? So we had a, a hundred-year uh, establishment of the Federal Reserve, and, uh, but it's just going to continue uh, into... And so again, not a government program. This is a privately funded... Uh, bank, national bank, and when you look at the owner lists, again, this is private, and you look at the people who run the Federal Reserve, and you'll look at the people who run the Bank of England, you will find them intimately and familiarly connected. They are all the same. And they have now perpetrated this on most all of the former, na of the former nations of the United Kingdom. And so in India, there's a National Bank of India that's causing problems there. Surprise, surprise. Guess where else there's a National Bank? Australia, which includes New Zealand. Canada. Getting the picture? 
They have nationalized most of these systems. And there's a reason that Great Britain did not join the European Union. It's because they weren't going to surrender their sovereignty of their <laughs> Bank of England to any other European countries. And, and Great Britain will never join the European Union for that reason. But the European Union in itself has now, pretty much because of who they've included, particularly Greece and a few other nations, Spain, uh, have, have their own problems, and now they're coming to the Bank of England. And for all that we hear about the Chinese owning our country, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the majority of the debt in the United States is owned by two entities. Guess who they are? The Bank of England and the Federal Reserve own this country. So when you hear about trillions of dollars in national debt, that's who the interest being paid to is the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England. Overwhelmingly, the Chinese have a very small portion of it, comparatively. Everybody wants you to worry about the Chinese. They have a fraction of our national debt that they carry. And we've decimated them with it. A couple of times we've done that to them. And I think that's some work. So we have national banks cropping up all over, um, and they are actively trying to bring all the Arab nations into the same banking system. Uh, and they're going to make it a Sharia banking system and draw all the Arab nations into it so they have a, a central bank. Again, these are private entities. And so finally, after trying and trying and trying, they finally get, I thought it was 1913 or 14, one of those. I thought it was 14. Uh, they finally get it to, to surrender. And on Woodrow Wilson's deathbed, um, he declared, after he, was pre you know, after he had served his term, he said, this is the worst thing I ever did to the country. If there's anything I could have undone as my presidency is institute the Federal Reserve. And he recognized it after, when it's too late. And again, we've had at least one president try to undo it and uh, he was murdered for that, I believe. So this connection, this financial, mysterious, underlying uh, pseudo-nation um, talks about this relationship that these, the ones running that country, the ones running our country, the ones running most of the countries of the world are the exact same people. They have privatized us financially and they control the economies of all these countries and there's only a handful of countries left that are not under their system. And it shouldn't surprise you who they are and whether well, China and Russia and a few of those other baddies that you're told not to trust um, because they haven't come under our financial bondage. And so when you see us instituting um, boycotts and uh, such on nations uh, recognize that we're trying to bring them financially to their knees to us. And by us, I mean these guys, the ones that we are subservient to. And so there's, this, there's a geopolitical picture that we can point to and say, that's that. That's that nation. But there's underlying uh, aspect and, and uh, the Bank of England, really it was the East India Company that really launched this. Um, they they uh, were born out of that and uh, they just scoured the 
whole countryside to, to just pillage country after country and region after region of all their natural resources. They couldn't do it in the United States, so instead they took it over through the Federal Reserve Act. And then they simply multiplied that in other nations, in other regions. And so you can begin to see, well, what does the Bible say about lenders and debtors? The one who borrows is slave to the one who lends. And so on your money right now, you know who owns this. It says so right on your money. If you still have cash, <laughs> it says so right on your currency. You don't have dollars. You have Federal Reserve notes. What is a note? A note is a debt. And so your money says, I have a nice $1 bill here. It says Federal Reserve note is the first thing on every bill. Top of the bill. Federal Reserve note. It's not a U.S. dollar. We stopped making U.S. dollars a long time ago. They are debts. Federal Reserve debts. And so when we talk about this system, um, we don't even print our money in our own, you know, we don't decide that. The Federal Reserve decides how much money we print, how much is available. Um, they're the ones in control. And so while we have a geopolitical identity, we can say the United States is the end times nation that we should be looking for. We also have this underlying thing that is global. Because remember, the first beast is a global entity encompassing many nations, and it is led by this nation that initiated the banking system and still ultimately controls all national banks, are driven by the Bank of England. And what are they calling you to worship? Stuff. They don't want you to worship money because you'll hoard it. They want you to worship stuff so you'll go in debt for your stuff. Because if you're in debt, somewhere down the line, you really owe them and they control you. You are their slave. And that's why I push in being debt-free so strongly, um, not only as individuals, as a church, and really as a country. And that's why every time we, we started crawling out of our national debt. Did you know that? It was during the Clinton era, but everyone thinks that means the Democratic presidents are good, but... The president has nothing to do with our economics. I don't know if you realize that. Congress is the one that spends our money. And while Clinton was president, who was in Congress? Do you remember those guys? They had a contract with America. Do you remember that guy that led that group? Newt Gingrich. And we were crawling out of our debt. We were having surpluses, and we were crawling out of our national debt. Well, that does not serve the purposes of the Federal Reserve very well. And so if we had continued the policies that were implemented by a Republican Congress during a Democrat's presidency of Clinton, if we had maintained those, we would be less and less subservient to the Federal Reserve. And the way the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England have historically worked, the way to create national debt is to do what? Implement war. And so, the Bank of England, I'm convinced, had a part in World War I and II. They were already in control then. It brought 
all the rest of Europe to its knees financially. There was a large price to pay in human lives, but in the end of it, even England itself was more subservient to the Bank of England. And this, this date should get your attention a little bit. Where were we in terms of world wars? Yeah, this is kind of World War One, and we were late coming into World War One. Remember, we just came in at the end of it, and World War Two is where we really ran up some debt, but not compare nothing compared to what we have today. And so we have swung from starting to get rid of debt all the way now, where we have these huge deficits that are just unimaginable because we've totally succumbed. That was during the Clinton presidency that was really the last gasp of our nation trying to get control of itself and that was it and it's gone now there's just there's just no way okay and so this is the underlying thing so when we talk about the the uh, controlling the world's finances economics these people are capable of doing it and are doing it today we're just kind of insulated from it because we're kind of want to believe that we're the best and that it's great to own all the stuff. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's opposite of what they're teaching you on TV. You're not cool unless you have this stuff. Well, I've gone late. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into chapter 14 unless you have a lot of questions for me and uh, for me to clear up here. But uh, let's go ahead and Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, for the opportunity again to look in your word and thank you for its clarity and we thank you for its uh, trustworthiness. Lord, when we have this much accomplished already, this much fulfilled in our days, in our history now, uh, we know your coming is soon. But we also see that there is something required of us that we're going to have to take a stand one way or the other. And we're going to be called to make some difficult choices. And Lord, give us the courage and the wisdom uh, to stand against these uh, work of the nations and the work of ultimately the Satan, the dragon, uh, to subject your people so that they can't follow after you because they are slaves to another. And Lord, we pray that you might uh, deliver us that we might have the wisdom to follow after you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.